All right, if you have your Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 9. This message this morning is a message that I've actually, uh, I've preached it a couple of times uh, uh, to the youth. A matter of fact, Pastor Elijah asked me to, to preach this message uh, to the students back in February at the student encounter. Um, and I believe that it's a message uh, that's for the church, that's for the whole church. And, and, and even for now, as I was been praying, I've actually been praying and thinking about this message for a few months now uh, about the timing of when to, to, to present it to the church. And uh, I just feel like the times now, especially as we're, we're um, closing out 2014 and getting ready for 2015, uh, like I said, it's a good time uh, for self-evaluation, amen, to see where we are, to see what, what needs to be evaluated in, in our lives and, and where we are, like I said, in every aspect of life, uh, especially spiritually, first and foremost, as Pastor Todd said, that's why we pray and fast the first week uh, is to give the first fruits and to, to prioritize our life uh, in our year. And so, um, so every time I, I, I do uh, preach this message, it, it, it continues to grow. And uh, this time was no different. As I was up here yesterday studying the Lord, uh, just continued to um, show me some different things. And uh, it's just confirmation, I feel like, where we need to go today. Amen? Matthew chapter 9 and verse 9 says this. As Jesus was walking alone, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me. And be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. Then he added, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Let's pray over the word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time in your word. Lord, we thank you that your word gives us all that we need. Lord, we know man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes forth from your mouth. Lord, we know that your word is the living word. Lord, it's living and active in our life today and right now. So, Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd help me uh, to, to present this word clearly. Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Lord, I pray that, that uh, your word would take root and would grow and produce fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Well, you know, a lot of people nowadays and, and probably a lot of people sitting in here today are on social media. And um, with uh, on Twitter and Instagram, it, it, you follow people on, on these two sides. Like on Facebook, you're friends with people. But on, on Instagram and Twitter, you, you follow people. I know a lot of people are probably in this room, probably more so are on Instagram. You know, and, and on, these, on these social media sites... You know, you follow someone so you can watch them or you can read about or see now, especially Instagram's all pictures. So you can see what they're doing. You can see what they're eating. You can see where they're going. You can see, you know, what kind of shampoo they use in the morning or at night. You can see how they decorated their house. Right. Am I right? You can follow their life. And, and some of us, a lot of us, people that we follow are our friends. But, you know, you, you also, a lot of us, we follow maybe a professional athlete or uh, maybe a, some singer or maybe a, a man or a woman of God. You know, every, you know the, 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 the most known, you know, preachers and, and evangelists and, and worship leaders all have, you know, Twitters and Instagram. And so we can follow these people and see what they're doing each and every day. 
You know, but just because we might follow someone on, on, on Twitter or Instagram and, and we can see what they're doing, we can read about what they're doing, you know, we can hear about them just because we're doing those things. That doesn't mean that those people even know us, that, uh, they're our mentor or, uh, that they're discipling us in any, uh, shape, form or fashion. You know, Jesus makes it clear in this verse that it's the same thing, that there's actually Two different uh, uh, groups of people are two different ways you can you can uh, go after the Lord. He says to Matthew, follow me and be my disciple. I've heard people say I'm a follower of Christ and that's great. And then you heard some people say, yeah, I'm, you know, uh, I'm a disciple. But you hear more people refer to being a follower of Christ. And obviously we need to follow Jesus. That's what he tells us. He says, follow me and be my disciple. But because it's two different things. I want to just give you a couple more scripture references from two different gospels to confirm that. In Luke 6, 17, it says, when they came down from the mountain, the disciples stood with Jesus on a large level area, surrounded by many of his followers and the crowd. You see that? Two different groups of people, disciples and followers. Mark 2.15 says, later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. The same thing we just read in Matthew. But in Mark, it says at the end, there were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. So Levi invited Jesus and his disciples and and then he said there was tax collectors and sinners that were among Jesus's followers. So we can see there's there, there's a distinct two different group of people, followers and disciples. You know, some people hear about Jesus, read about Jesus, talk about Jesus, observe things that Jesus is doing, but they're not his disciples. I'll go a step further. There's people that come to church every Sunday, but that doesn't mean that they are his disciples. So my question to you this morning, as we're reevaluating 2014, going into 2015, are you a disciple or just a follower? Are you a disciple of Christ or just a follower? This morning, we're going to look at a few attributes of a disciple. Number one, a disciple is obedient to the master. A disciple is obedient to the master. In Matthew 9 Matthew got up right away and started following the Lord Jesus. He said, come follow me and be my disciple. He didn't, he didn't ask questions. He didn't say, well, oh, hold up. I got to wrap up this. So, you know, it's tax season, Jesus. So give me a minute here. Let me wrap this up. Let me do immediately. The Bible says that he got up and followed him. He followed Jesus right away. You know, some of us that have been in church, maybe in a long time are still struggling with obeying the Lord and what he's telling us to do even in the little things. And sometimes I think when the Lord gives us something to do or tells us maybe something to stop doing, we, we, we disregard it because we say, well, that's just something small. It's not a big deal. If the Lord says it, it's a big deal. Amen. If the Lord speaks to you through his word, by his spirit, through maybe a leader in your life, a mentor, a pastor, it's a big deal. When the Lord speaks and tells you to do something, it's a big deal. We need to be obedient. Whatever it be in our relationships, our career, uh, our finances, uh, whatever, the, whatever the case may be, total surrender of something in your life. Not just halfway. Halfway surrender is not surrender at all. Amen? Whenever you see somebody that, you know, you see in these movies, somebody tell them to, to put up their hands. You know, and people, they don't just put up one hand, right? They put them both up. 
That's a sign of surrender. Listen to what First Samuel fifteen twenty two says. What is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. I, I think it's clear. I like how Sam even stops and says, listen to me. He was talking to Saul whenever Saul, you know, just finished plundering and uh, defeating the Amalekites and plundering everything. He said, destroy everything, kill it all. Don't leave anything left. But Saul left a few things. He left, he, he left some animals to sacrifice and all of that. And that's what Samuel is the context of this story. And, and he was trying to justify why he wasn't fully obedient to the Lord. Yeah, yeah, but listen, I, I didn't do it because, I mean, I'm bringing these to church. I'm doing this for the church. I'm doing this for a good thing. And he says, listen, obedience is better than sacrifice. You see, as a follower, a lot of times followers will sacrifice things. Man, I gave this up. Man, I stopped doing this. Man, I don't go here anywhere. I don't go there anymore. And that's great. There's a lot of things when we come to Christ, we need to stop doing and stop going and all of that. But listen, if the Lord is telling you to do something, all your sacrifices are, get go by the wayside if you're being disobedient in one area. That's what Samuel was saying. So you can be a follower and sacrifice and, and get into, you know, and, and, and really it becomes religious. You know, you, you've maybe said a prayer, you're giving your life to Christ, but you're following from a distance and you're, you're sacrificing on the outwardly, but not being obedient inwardly. As I'm saying this right now, I believe there's people in here that there's something that the Lord is maybe pressing on you, has brought to your mind right now as I'm saying this, that you haven't been obedient in. Maybe it's been all year as we winding down the year. It's been all year the law has been pressing on you to do. Maybe it was last year during prayer and fasting. Or maybe it's been last week or yesterday and you haven't yet done it. I want to encourage you. I want to strongly encourage you to be quick and fully obedient to the Lord. A disciple is obedient to the master. Number two, a disciple is selfless. In verse 9, Jesus found Matthew sitting where he worked. He was a tax collector. Now, tax collection back in those days was a private enterprise. In each district, Rome granted the right to collect taxes to the highest bidder. Anything collected above bid was profit for the collectors, who, driven by greed, often used extortion and could make a lot of money. As a Jewish tax collector, they could make a lot of money because once they got the quota of what they needed to, then they, they can extort the rest and, and, and become wealthy. Matter of fact, Luke tells us that Zacchaeus also was a tax collector and says in Luke that Zacchaeus was a wealthy man. Now, he was a chief tax collector. So either Matthew was making a lot of money where he was at, or if he would have continued on as a tax collector, maybe he would have became like Zacchaeus, a chief tax collector, and became a wealthy man. But when Jesus said, follow me and be my disciple, Matthew got up, he followed them. He didn't think about what he was leaving behind. He didn't look back at his career. He didn't look back at, at you know, his pension plan and his 401k and his retirement from being a tax collector. He didn't look at any of that. He got up, he followed Jesus, and he went. So a disciple is selfless and is, is, is not worried about and concerned about what you're leaving behind. Listen, the Lord might not always move you maybe from a job or this and that, but whatever the Lord's telling you to do, if he, if he is moving you, if he's telling you to lay something down, it's not just financial. Listen, we need to do it. We need to be obedient. And it takes being selfless. 
Because selfishness, man, I'll tell you what, that's one of the greatest hindrances of, of the kingdom of God is self. It's wanting to put us on the throne instead of Jesus on the throne where he belongs. Amen? That's why he's our master. That, that word master, our Lord, means when we say Lord Jesus, Lord, I've said it a bunch of times, means supreme master. Supreme master over any other master. And the, the, the hardest thing is that, you know, we want to be the master of ourselves, right? You know, before we got saved, we did what we wanted, went where we wanted, ate what we wanted, drank what we wanted, smoked what we wanted, whatever. It's hard to get self off the throne. You know, I, I have a friend of mine that uh, is a man of God that, that you know, owns uh, multiple businesses and, and runs multiple businesses. And I was talking to him one day and he said, you know, uh, going back to the, the finances of being obedient to the Lord and being selfless. He said, if like, like Matthew, he said, if people looked at my bank account throughout the year, they would, they would think that I'm a millionaire by just looking at it and, and follow me. He wasn't bragging. He said, but if you looked at my account towards the end of the year, they're almost zeroed out. He said, because I give most of it away to missions, to planting churches in foreign countries. And that's the whole reason he said that the Lord told him to start these businesses was to pump money into planting churches on foreign soil. He has a heart for the Lord. He has a heart. Now, I'm not just talking about just finances. About I mean, this guy is like uh, one of my heroes. You know, I mean, he's he's selfless. His wife, him and his wife are, uh, you know, have like four of their own biological kids. They've adopted uh, two or three kids. And when I first met him, he told me, yeah, he said, in the last two years, my wife and I have fostered 20 children in two years. I'm like, what? When do you sleep? You know? And if you know this guy, he's always a hundred miles an hour, you know, but you know, that's a, a great definition of being selfless. I know there's people here in this church. Matter of fact, a lady came up to me after or I talked to a lady in the foyer after the first service. And she was just saying how that encouraged her because her and her husband uh, just adopted a second child. I know there's families in here, you know, that, that have done that, that have fostered and that have adopted children. I want to commend you for that. That is a very selfless thing. Amen. I tell people all the time, if you want to know how selfish you don't, well, you don't realize how selfish you are until you get married, right? Then you really don't realize how selfish you are until you have children. Come on, parents. Can I get a witness? Y'all don't, y'all make me feel better, right? And, uh, so I could about imagine having four of my own kids, you know, adopting a child that's not your own, taking them on. That's a selfish thing. That's a great thing. And that's what a disciple of Christ does. In Luke 9, 23. In the Amplified, it says this, and he said to all, if any person wills to come after me, let him deny himself, disown himself, forget, lose sight of himself and his own interests, refuse and give up himself and take up his cross daily and follow me, cleave steadfastly to me, conform wholly to my example in living and if need be in dying also. That's Jesus's definition of being selfless. Amen? I knew you'd be quiet on that one. Take up your cross means dying to what you want to do. Simply put, when Jesus says take up your cross, it means you must die to what you want to do in order to do what the Lord wants you to do. You know, he might not always, like I said, pull your way and redirect your, your career path or, you know, tell you to empty your accounts like this one man, a businessman in here. I, I, that's his calling on his life. But whatever he tells you to do, we need to be obedient and we need to lay self down because, you know, you're not going to be fully obedient when you're selfish. Isn't that right? We must be fully and quickly obedient. For all the parents in here, we all know that. When we tell our child something, our children something, to do something, don't we want first time obedience and quick obedience? Right? 
How many of y'all have said, don't make me tell you again? Right? We heard our parents tell us that. Now we're telling our own kids that, you know, but it's the same way with us as children of God. And, and, you know, the Lord always has our best interest. And we got to remember, you know, he saved us. The Bible says our life is not our own for we've been bought with a high price. That's what we celebrated this morning in communion. So he bought us with his own blood, with his own body, and that's why he's our master. And that's why whenever he gives us a command, you know, I don't want to do that. Well, you don't belong to yourself anymore. Amen? So you do what the master says. You lay down your life. You get selfless. And, if, and, and, and this is a, a litmus test of if you are, if, if you're obedient, if you're selfless, or you feel like, man, I haven't been obedient. I'm, I'm a pretty selfish guy or gal. Maybe you're still a follower and you're not quite a disciple. Number three, a disciple is in a relationship with Jesus. A disciple is in a relationship with Jesus. And I know we hit on this a lot and some of y'all thinking, oh, come on, Brandon, you know, I know that. And I know a lot of us do know it, but I want to hone in on it because I believe a lot of times, you know what, like followers uh, back then and disciples, two different things when it came to relationship. You know, Matthew, in, in verse 10, Matthew invited Jesus to dinner. Typically, you don't invite someone to dinner over to dinner at, at your house unless you're in a relationship with them, right? Typically, you know them. I mean, sometimes you invite strangers or you might invite someone to come. But for the most part, you invite people over for dinner that you're in a relationship with. And that's what Matthew did. I'm sure for most of y'all around your, your Christmas dinner table, uh, you had people that you were in a relationship with, right? Those are the people that came over that you exchanged gifts with. And so we see this with, with, with uh, Matthew. He invited Jesus over to dinner. He's beginning and cultivating a relationship with Jesus. You know, we see all through the Gospels the relationship Jesus had with his disciples. We can see this relationship forming. And here's why. We talk about it's two different group of people. Listen to me. The crowds followed Jesus. The disciples spent time with Jesus. If you notice, the crowds was always following him whenever he was preaching, when he was healing, when he was breaking bread, when he was uh, uh, multiplying bread and, and, and fish and all this kind of stuff. The crowds followed him. But as soon as the service was over, guess what? The crowds dispersed. And who was left? The disciples. The disciples spent time with Jesus day in and day out. You know, it's the same way today. Crowds come to churches. But disciples spend time with Jesus daily after church lets out. So my question is, are you a, a, a follower? Are you a disciple or just a follower? What is your relationship with Jesus like? What's the time you spend with Jesus on a daily basis, on a regular basis? That determines, you can tell if you're a follower or a disciple. You know, John, the apostle John, always referred to himself as the one whom Jesus loved. See, he identified himself with intimacy. John identified himself with in intimacy. We know John wrote the book of Revelation, but listen, John was the beloved before he was John the revelator. He had an intimate relationship with Jesus. That tells us that, you know what, you have to have intimacy before you're going to get revelation. And that goes for me, especially for me as a pastor that preaches and teaches the word of God. I pray, you know, Lord, give me greater revelation. Lord, show me. Well, you know what? The level of revelation I have is going to depend on the level of intimacy I have. And it's the same with all of us. A disciple is in an intimate relationship with Jesus. Once again, you can follow someone on Twitter or, or Instagram 
and know everything that person's doing, see what they're doing, know what they like to eat, how they dress and all that. But that person probably doesn't even know who you are. If it's like, you know, someone famous and all that kind of stuff. So it, it's the same way. Every time I talk about social media, it gets quiet. It's like I'm messing with the sacred cow or something. Number four, a disciple has a heart for the lost. A disciple has a heart for the lost. Let's read verses 10 through 13 again. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. But when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he said, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. Then he said, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. See, Matthew brought sinners to Jesus. He had had a life change. His life was beginning to change. He had a heart for his, 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 his sinner friends, his tax collectors. He invited Jesus over and got a bunch of his buddies to come over because he wanted them to meet Jesus as well. He had a heart for them. The Pharisees, on the other hand, called them scum. No compassion for the lost whatsoever. And these were the spiritual leaders of the time. He said there was scum. They were unclean. Why are you eating with these people? Jesus quoted Hosea 6, 6 when he said, I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. Jesus showed compassion and mercy and eating with the sinners while the Pharisees despised them. See, Jesus revealed the true spiritual condition of the Pharisees who thought they were righteous, but failed to recognize that they were in fact unrighteous and in need of the Messiah's salvation. You know, Our lack of compassion for lost souls also reveals our spiritual state. When we don't have a a burden uh, for lost people to pray for them, to witness to them, to invite them to church, it also shows us our spiritual state, where we are. Maybe we're just followers or maybe we're just, you know, disciples that have have lost the focus on on what's on God's heart. You see, if you're a disciple of Jesus, you're going to have Jesus' heart. You're going to have Jesus is, is, is burden, which is for souls. That's the whole purpose he came down here was to save. He says it again. He did not come for healthy people. He said he came uh, for those uh, who know they are sinners. And there are people out there that, that are hurting, that are broken. And when, when, when we have a lack of compassion or heart for the lost, I believe it shows two things. One, it shows just as the Pharisees, it shows that we've forgotten that we were just like them. We forgot that we were lost, that we were broken, addicted, depressed, in bondage. When we look down at people that are lost or not Christians or not in church, we totally forget that we were just like them. And that we are in need of a Savior just as much as them. Just as the Pharisees. And he sharply rebuked them for that. And also, too, it shows that maybe you're still a follower that haven't moved into being a disciple. You've prayed the prayer and you saved and you're good and you come to church, but maybe it shows that, you know what, you haven't dove in to become a disciple of Christ. We need to pray that God gives us a burden for souls, y'all. Listen, the time is short. 
I know we say this all the time, but the time is short. You know that businessman I told you about, a friend of mine is, who's actually a pastor as well, a missionary that takes teams down, multiple teams down every year. Um, he told me that his goal is to win one million souls to the Lord before he dies. Now, you know why he has that, that, that goal, why he's so selfless he has that goal? Because he has a burden for lost souls. He has a burden for the lost. You know, I heard a true story one time, and, uh, and, and, and the name slipped me, and I forget, but it was a, an old man, uh, an old preacher that was retired, and a young, um, a young evangelist was coming through and preaching at the church he started. So the evangelist stayed at the, 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 the retired preacher's home, slept overnight that night. When he got up early in the morning, the old man was already up. He was already in his study, and he could hear the retired preacher weeping. And as he went by the, 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 the study and he peeked into the study, the, the, the old preacher had the globe in his lap and was weeping over the globe. And when he talked to him later, he said his heart was broken. He was weeping over the lost souls across the globe. That's a heart for the lost. Even in his older age, being retired and whatnot, he had such a burden for souls. Come on, we need a greater burden for the lost. Amen. We need to pray for that. And ask the Lord to change our hearts. And he will. He will. Number five, a disciple loves other disciples. A disciple loves other disciples. In John 13, 35, Jesus said, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Did you catch that? He said, our love for one another will prove not to the church, to the world. That we are truly his disciples. If we are truly disciples of Christ, we'll love others in the church. And that's, I think it's perfect as, as, as we were uh, praying and, and sharing communion and, and, and the scripture that Paul talks about that it, it shows unity. We must have unity because listen, and, and, and true love for one another, not just in family life, which we need to, you know, uh, but across church lines, denominational lines, just because people go to a different church than you, worship different or, or look different or have a few different doctrinal beliefs, they still are brothers and sisters and we need to love them. Amen. And listen, because if we don't, you know, going back to the previous point, if we don't truly love one another, if the lost don't see that we love one another, they're not going to believe that we really love them. They're not. I mean, we could tell them, oh, I love you, brother. That's why I'm telling you this. It's like, man, you know, they're not going to believe that. Jesus said that our love for one another proves that we are his disciples. If you have a hard time loving brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, you need to question your discipleship. First John 4, 7 and 8 says, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. John makes it clear that this kind of love to love one another only comes from God. Listen, and I understand it's hard sometimes, just like in a regular family. It's hard to love your, your biological siblings sometimes, right? Come on, some of y'all had a hard time at Christmas dinner loving and pa- pass the bread. Like, man, I ain't passing you nothing, you know? So I know it's hard in our home, but this is, we're a family. It gets hard sometimes. We don't always like that person across the pew, the aisle, or across town, but the Lord commands us to love them, right? And it's, it's with that supernatural agape love, an unconditional love that John makes clear only comes from God. And he goes on to say this in 1 John 4, 20, 21. If someone says, I love God, but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is a liar, For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? 
And he has given us this command. Those who love God must also love their Christian brothers and sisters. If there is not a Christian that you love, that you show in true love to, you can't say you love the Lord. That's what John says. He says, you're a liar. Our love for one another proves that we're disciples. So if you don't have a true love for the church, the body of Christ, you're probably still a follower. Number six. And the last one. Disciples live in awe of Jesus. Disciples live in awe of Jesus. Look in Mark chapter 10 and verse 32. It says, they were now on their way up to Jerusalem and Jesus was walking ahead of them. Listen to this. The disciples were filled with awe and the people following behind were overwhelmed with fear. The disciples were filled with awe, but the followers were overwhelmed with fear. You see, again, this all comes back down to relationship. When you're in a relationship with Jesus, you're constantly filled with awe at who Jesus is. There's no way you can get closer to the Lord Jesus Christ and not be in constant awe of him. But on the other hand, if you're just a follower and, 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 and you, you know his teaching, you're only a follower, you know his teaching, you end up living in fear of failure for not meeting up to his standard. You can live in fear of him being mad at you or punishing you or giving up on you if you're just a follower. Like the crowds are overwhelmed with fear because they saw him casting out demons and doing stuff. It's like, man, if we get that dude mad, he might do something to us. But the disciples were in awe of him because they was in a relationship and realized how much he loved them and how much he loved people. That was he wasn't here to beat them over the head and to condemn them like the Pharisees had been doing. He came to love them, to deliver them, to save them and to set them free. And he has with us as well. Amen. I love this uh, scripture in Psalm 111.9. It says he has paid a full ransom for his people. He has guaranteed his covenant with them forever. What a holy, awe-inspiring name he has. I love that. What a holy and awe-inspiring name he has. You know, if we stop and think about how we've been ransomed and redeemed from eternal damnation, that in itself causes us to stand in awe. When he has guaranteed an eternal covenant with us, it's not something that's conditional. He guaranteed it. If we're saved, if we trusted our lives to him, it's a guarantee. We can sit there and as we meditate on that, stand in awe of who Jesus is. That Jesus would come down being perfect, being the king of kings, lord of lords, king of all heaven. Comes down in a lowly body to save a wretched sinner like me. That causes us to be in awe that he would do that. And then, I don't know if it's just y'all, but uh, even after being saved for many years, sometimes I just feel like a knucklehead. Does anybody else feel that way? I'm like, Jesus, you still loving me? You still forgiving me? You still want to use me? Look, David could understand, right, David? I see that chuckle. Amen. You know, it's like, really, Lord, you still blessing me like this? I stand in awe of how much he loves me. And how good he is, how gracious he is, how merciful. His mercies are brand new every single morning. That causes me to stand in awe of of just who he is. And then if you stop and think about everything he's done and everything that he's still doing right now, wow, how can Jesus ever become commonplace even in the body of Christ? Maybe it's because we have a church with more followers than disciples. 
You know, I thought about this a couple years ago. That's why they, I remember this shirt coming out a few years ago, and it might still be in the mall or so, I don't know, and people walking around selling it or wearing it, and the shirt said, Jesus is my homeboy. Jesus isn't my homeboy. Jesus is my Lord. He's my master. He's my savior. He's my redeemer. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. See what happens whenever, you know, Jesus becomes commonplace. People feel like, oh, yeah, Jesus is cool, man. That guy, he taught some cool stuff and he was nice and he fed people. So, man, yeah, Jesus is my homeboy. There's no more awe. The awe factor is gone. Jesus should never become commonplace, especially in the body of Christ. We should live in awe of the Lord Jesus Christ on a daily basis. Amen. And I'll close with this scripture right here. Matthew 28, 18 and 20. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I'm giving you. And be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus told his disciples and us, to go and make and teach disciples, not followers. Amen? Why don't you stand up with me? Now, I believe there's three groups of people in this place today. As we're standing here, as we sit in here, or standing now. There are three groups of people here. Number one, first group of people, you're, you're, you're maybe not even a follower yet. You've maybe been coming to church. You've come to church. Uh, maybe this is your first time here. Or maybe you've, you've been coming to church a while. You've heard messages. You've heard the gospel message. As I mentioned, you know, John 3.16, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. As we celebrated communion, we celebrated Jesus dying for us. We broke God's laws, the Ten Commandments, the, the word of God, but, and we, we, we deserve to pay a penalty. Jesus paid that penalty for us. He offers us forgiveness, salvation, and guarantees an eternal covenant. So as we stand, and every head bowed, every eye closed, as we pray, I want to, right now, I want to, we're going to do self-examination, all three groups of people. I believe you fall in line of one of all these three I'm going to mention. So the first group is maybe you're not even a follower yet. And you say, Brandon, I haven't even made that first step to follow Jesus in his ways and in his word. I haven't gotten right with God. I need to get right with the Lord today. I need to be saved. If that's you, I want you to just slip up your hand. Slip up your hand so I can see it right now. I want to pray for you. Come on, I see your hand. Anybody else? Anybody else? I see your hand back here, ma'am. Anyone else? Anyone else? Say, I need to, I want to be a follower. I want to give my life to Christ. I want to pray that the Lord forgives me, that I can be in a relationship, enter in with him. Amen. Those of you that raised your hand, come on, I want you to pray this with me. If you believe what I just said, if you believe Jesus died in your place, rose again, come on, I want you to pray in faith. Let's all pray with them. Lord Jesus, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I ask that you would forgive me of my sins. Lord, I thank you for dying for me. I thank you for taking my place. Lord, I pray that you would save me today. I want to begin this this new journey with you. Give me the grace and give me the strength to live for you all the days of my life. I want to be a disciple. I want to start a relationship with you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
Amen. If you pray that prayer, those of you ought to raise your hand. You pray that prayer for the first time. Are you 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 giving your life to the Lord again and you've been away? I want you to come up after. We're gonna pray for you. We got some material for you. We would like to meet y'all. So that's the first group of people. Second group of people, you are you're a follower, and there's nothing wrong with that. Jesus did say, He said, Follow me and be my disciple. So, you know, you're a follower. You maybe prayed a prayer similar to what we just prayed and you've been coming to church and whatnot. But you know what? We, we, we can't stay in that follower state. Once we become followers of Jesus, I'm committing, I'm surrendering to follow in his ways, his word, his will. Then we must quickly move on to discipleship. So today, maybe that's you in here. And you say, you know what, Brandon? I've been a follower, following Jesus, coming when it's church in the crowds and watching what he does and hearing and whatnot. But I'm not a disciple. I want to challenge you today to to surrender it all, to give your life to Christ in total surrender, to make a decision. I'm going to become a disciple. You know, we have we have uh, things here at church in place to help you along the discipleship process. Both of these are going to be starting in February. We got another round of our Love Grow Reach classes that will start first Wednesday in February. Four consecutive classes that will help you, that will teach you to begin to disciple you in the ways of the Lord. We also have our life group signups coming up in February as well, where we're going to have a bunch of life group signups, uh, life groups or small groups, Bible studies, where you can learn more about the Bible. You have leaders that can walk with you, that can help you, help disciple you, help teach you, help you uh, get deeper in that relationship with the Lord. And in the last group of people in here, you're a disciple, but you desire to go deeper. Come on, how many of y'all is that in here? I'm, I got both my hands up. I'm a disciple, but Lord, I desire to go deeper in 2015. Lord, I don't, I don't want 2015 to be like 14. Come on, we need to evaluate. I was doing this yesterday as I was up here praying. I was reflecting on 2014 and thinking of some marks that I missed in my relationship with the Lord and, and was praying and making goals already, desiring to go deeper in my walk, in my relationship with God in 2015. Come on, if that's you and the whole church, we have, we want to pray and we have a, a, a you know, a couple of ways that are help kickstart this deeper intimacy and this deeper level. One is the seven days of prayer and fasting that's going to start January 5th. We have three prayer meetings a day, as Pastor Todd says. I encourage you, if you're a disciple, you want to go deeper, block off some time. Come to as many prayer meetings as you can. Turn off the TV. Turn off the stove. Come on, put your schedule aside for seven days. We usually do 21. Seven days. We can do this. Amen? jump in. Let's go deeper. And then the week after that, we're going to have the reconference, the refresh, refuel, refocus. We're going to have Monday night's going to be for the ladies getting ministered to, uh, Tuesday night for the, for the men. And then Wednesday night, we're going to have an overflow service that I know is going to be powerful. This a week and a half to, to kickstart a deeper walk and a deeper level of discipleship. Amen. Come on, let's pray. Heavenly father, we thank you for sending your son. We thank you, Lord God, that we are your children and that, Lord God, as your disciples, Lord, we desire intimacy to go deeper. Lord, I pray that you help us to be obedient. Lord, help us to be obedient to the master. Lord, help us to lay down our selfishness and to be selfless, Lord God, in going after you, Lord God. I pray, give us a heart for the lost, Lord. Give us a heart for souls, Lord, in Jesus' name, that we would live in all of you, Lord, that we would have a love for other disciples, for others in the body of Christ, whether they come to our church or not, whether they dress different than us or believe a little different. Lord, I pray that you would help us, that our our love for one another would be such a witness and a testimony to the world around us, Lord God. Do a great work in us and through us. Lord, today, the days to come in 2015, Lord, we want to glorify you in all that we do. In Jesus' name, we pray. And everybody said, 
Amen. Amen.